Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Great. Praying for it. All right. So tonight's teaching is going to be called The Sufferings of Jesus Christ. The sufferings, of, because, you know, we've talked about before the differences between the churches today and the churches of yesterday. But one thing we really need to pay attention to is, you know, we got to look at suffering. If we really call ourselves Christians the very same way that the people who preceded us believed, you know, and I think one of the reasons why a lot of Christians won't suffer for the name of Jesus Christ today is because we're comfortable. I think that's a big part of why Christians will not do the things that God says, because we don't want to lose the things that we have. But if we go according to Solomon's account, where he tells us everything is vanity, then you got to ask yourself, what are you really losing? Are you really losing much? Is this just a waste of my time? Is it doing things to keep me from serving the Lord? Or is it really something valuable? I believe that that's something that every Christian is going to have to solve in himself and get a true understanding of. But that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Because one thing about those apostles, they thought it was a glorious thing to suffer for Christ. Jesus Christ was their hero. And I don't think that any Christian can ever truly call himself a Christian and serve the Lord unless Jesus becomes your hero, unless he becomes your role model, then you really have little to no understanding on what it truly is to be a Christian. Because it's just how you may find people, I remember years back in the 80s, when Michael Jackson, you know, he was out before I was born, but when he got into Beat It and Thriller and all that, Martin and I are old enough to know, man, people were walking around with the short pants. They were walking around with the red jacket with the thousand zippers. You were running your mom's closet and trying to find one of her old gloves you know, that they would have, and you would put it on, and you would desire to be Michael Jackson. Well, you see, just how Michael Jackson was worshipped, and I'm not saying that he was anything big, but when someone is your role model, you desire to be like them. You really can't see yourself being any different than how they are. And that's something that we've got to come to that place of, you know what, Lord, it was a glorious thing what you did for me. I admire you, your great wisdom, how you were able to forsake the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, you know, it's like, hey, when I grow up, when I grow spiritually, Lord, I want to be like you in every little way. If you said that, you know, those who wear, you know, um, you know, got those princely robes, they're in king's houses then that gives you an idea of how Jesus lived. If he says the son of man has not a place to lay his head, then that gives you an idea of how Jesus lives. Now, right away, a carnal mind will say, so you're telling me get rid of my house? I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just getting to the place where we've got to have an understanding of, is our heart anything like Jesus Christ? Do we desire to truly be like him? Or are there things in this life that make us comfortable that will tell us, well, Lord, you did that. 
But one thing I'm not going to do is that. So you see, when we say, when we look at the life of Jesus Christ and we examine it, all that he suffered, all the people that walked out of his life, all the times he was persecuted for what he had done. And we look at that and we'll say, thank you, Jesus. But sorry, that's too steep for me. You know what you're saying? That you are greater than your master. You are greater than Jesus Christ. You're good enough to go through rough times in this life, but I'm meant to take it easy. And you see, that's not being a Christian at all. A true Christian is like Jesus Christ. You may have things in this life. You may enjoy things in this life. But the question is, if need be to fulfill the will of the gospel, would you part with it? That's the thing that we've got to understand and we've got to see. Oh, these things more important to us than Jesus, because you know what? I'm not saying that I'm in the place of where Jesus was, but one thing I'm recognizing in me, every day when I read this Bible and I get into his word, I desire to be more like him. Lord, what is it that you have that I don't? What is it that I'm still holding on to that I can't walk in this life as you walked? These are questions that should be going through every Christian's mind. Lord, why is it that you were able to do what you did but when it comes to us, we won't do. Now, some people could say, well, Jesus was God, man. That's why he did it. Okay, so if we take that perspective, what about Peter? What about Paul? What about uh, Clement? What's that guy, Clement, and all these other guys? What about Titus? What about Timothy? What about Henry Groover? What about Derek Prince? <laughs> you know, what about these guys that have come up in this day that have said, you know what? God is true and I'm going to follow him as he says. You see, we've got no excuses in this thing. We've just got to come down to a place of, Lord, do I truly desire to be like you? Or do I want to be me with your little, with your seal put upon me? But God's not going to place his seal on that which is not like himself. That's what we must understand. We might, you know, get the spirit and we may follow the Lord, but there'll come a point if we're not willing to continue to follow, the spirit can, you know, disappear out of your life and you've got to struggle to get him back. That's something that we all need to understand. I've lost anointings behind me believing that I can incorporate the world with Jesus Christ. And you know what? They just don't go together. So I'm praying tonight and I'm hoping that these words will really sink in because when we talk about the sufferings of Jesus Christ, I believe it was an honorable thing. I think it was many, the biggest act in history that anyone could do for anybody. The very fact that he bore our sin and he was an innocent man, but he came in obeying the father, he forsaked his life. There wasn't one day of Jesus's life that he enjoyed on this world except doing his father's will. But this is what the devil's convinced us of. The devil has told us that following Jesus is hard. And he tells you that it's not something to be joyful. He tells you, man, that that's extremely difficult. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to put yourself in harm's way? But what are you really doing? You're doing what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Though the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. We've got to get to the place of subduing this flesh believing the words of Jesus Christ and getting his spirit that we can walk this thing out. What's really hurting us as Christians is we think that suffering is a bad thing 
and that's really your flesh. You know that you can go beyond your flesh at any time. Times you had to fast, times you had to deny self, times you had to speak up for Jesus no matter where you were, and you might have lost jobs for them. You, you realize the flesh will look at a situation and only go but so far, but you know that that spirit, that inward man in you, at a time when you should have kept your mouth shut, so the flesh says that your spirit man spoke up. And God never left you nor forsake you. He never put you aside and said, man, you were a fool for what you've done. One thing we must understand is there are things that the flesh does not want to do. We must identify the things that are fleshly and the things that are spiritual. Jesus says that the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. So there are many things we're going to have to learn in how to subdue this flesh, how to point out those things that are of man and those things that are of God. Because I'm not going to kid anybody and tell you, okay, believe Jesus Christ and just go. That's not going to happen because your flesh just got out of a bed of fornication. Your flesh been slothful forever. Your flesh has said, well, you know, there's some things I like, but there's other things that I don't want to do for Christ. And those things have to be trained. You've got to be trained in the place of getting yourself conditioned to serve the Lord. And the only way we're going to do that is if we're heavenly minded. The only way we're going to do it is if we believe in the report of Jesus Christ. If we believe wholeheartedly that everything that Jesus did was right, then we will desire to be like him. This is not something that you can seek with your head. This is not something that you can go along with the group. This has to be a heartfelt response. It's got to hit you in that inner man that says, you know something, Jesus Christ is right. I am wrong. I am a sinner. How can I live my life and watch souls go to hell? How can I not tell people about the gospel? How can I be so selfish when our Lord did everything that he's done and I'm sitting right here doing absolutely nothing? This is where we've got to get to the place of saying, you know something, Lord, you are right. Everything that you've done is right. You're not a freak of nature. You're not just someone that came along that couldn't identify with our sin and our, um, you know, and, and the same temptations we suffered. The Lord endured them all. Here we are ready to sell Jesus out for a chicken dinner. Here we are ready to sell Jesus out for a job when the devil offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time, if all he would do was bow down and worship him. But Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written that I serve the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So we've got to get to the place of what is it that we're really forsaking for Jesus Christ? And I'm telling you, it's, it's so easy when you look at this thing through spiritual eyes. We are really you know, forsaking a bowl of pottage to walk with Jesus Christ. That's all it is. This stuff is 100% valueless. We may have our times where we're growing and we're seeking and we're doing what we need to do, but when it comes down to it, heaven or hell, that's really what it boils down to. I promise people, and I've said this before, and I'm saying it again, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I promise you that Every single thing that you thought was important will not be on your mind. You will care less about it when it comes to looking into his eyes and saying, you know, and the Lord says, why didn't you do this for me? And we'll say, 
you know, uh, you know what the truth is? You know what people are going to tell Jesus at the end? I just didn't believe. You know, I mean, you say a lot of things, Lord, but how did I know? You could have known if you followed him. He would have revealed more to you. But you see, what we're looking for is, Lord, show me heaven, and then I'll believe. Show me, show me hell, and then I'll believe. There's a lot of things that we claim that we believe in, but when you get down to it, if we truly believe, why won't we do? Why, we, why is Jesus not everything to us? Why is he just, you know, good for a religious leader, but he won't? He's not my everything, because I think that we have little understanding as to the sufferings of Jesus Christ. You don't realize what he endured. You don't realize what he stands for. You don't realize the amount of pain that he suffered for you and I to, to see that one day when we're through with this life, that we may have eternal life. That's what this whole thing is about. The sufferings of Jesus Christ. What did he do that would make us not want to do the same? And you know what the problem is? We love the world. We love ourselves too much. We may say that there are things that we're willing to part from, but deep in our hearts, we have a deep admiration and affection for the world. And the only way that we're going to see it the way Jesus sees it is if we get into his word, we die out to self, we draw close to him. And you forsake your stinking flesh and you will begin to get a glimpse of what it's about. People that got problems in praying, I tell people fast three days, you will go to your knees automatically. You know why? Because now you can see clearly what God wants you to see. You begin to develop a heart for him the way that he wants you to. The problem is self-denial. Jesus says, if anyone will follow after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. And he wasn't kidding when he said that. But you know what I mean? People will say, okay, Lord, I believe you. And Jesus says, okay, pick up that cross. They'll pick it up. Jesus says, follow me. And then, man, this is kind of heavy. Maybe I could put it down and follow him. But you can't. Because you see, if you don't board your cross like he bared his, like he bore his, there's no way in the world that you can understand. I thought I knew a lot of things concerning ministry, man, when I would listen to pastors speak, man, I had the biggest mouth out there to criticize what they were doing, only to get into it myself and get a and recognize, you know what, Lord, this is hard. And you know what, I'm going to have to suffer for your sake. But why is he doing it? Because he's making our hearts more like him. He's given us a glimpse of what it truly is to love your neighbor and have them not care anything about you. No matter what you tend to do for people, people will be ungrateful. That's just life. That's just human nature. But God does it to show you his heart. So let's pray. Let's get into this lesson. You know, this ain't going to be one that's going to, uh, you know, be bad. But, you know, it is going to open our eyes to a lot. What's wrong with the suffering of Jesus Christ? And you know what it is? Only a pig would not see what the suffering was all about because pigs love themselves. Pigs wallow in mud. Pigs, you know, they'll eat just about anything you throw out there. That's what pigs do. But we've got to get to that place of not being swine and truly looking at the pearls that the Lord Jesus Christ laid before us. It's a beautiful thing to suffer for his name. So let's pray. Let's get right into this lesson. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for our brothers and sisters near and far. We thank you, Lord, for another day not promised to us. And we just ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me, Lord, with my brothers and sisters, that we have yet another day to be partakers of your word, to be edified by your spirit, Lord, that we may choose life and not death. And I just pray, Lord, that no man's heart be heard in his teaching. I pray, Lord, that no flesh be glorified. But we pray, Lord, that you send the comforter, that you send the Holy Ghost, he that is meant to bring us into all truth and righteousness and that we will reprove the world of sin. We pray, my Lord, my God, I pray that you speak tonight. And I pray that you convict those hearts, Lord, that people may have an understanding that it's not a, a, a bad thing to suffer for you. It's not something, Lord, that we can just overlook. It is not a failure to be one with Jesus Christ, but it is a beautiful thing, Lord, that you have given all to your people. And I pray, Lord, that we have hearts like yours, that we can get a job done for you in the last days. I pray, Lord in Jesus' name, that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention and confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, bind the devil, keep him at bay. Let no distractions come, Lord, but I pray that you open the mind, you open the eyes, you open the ears and the heart that people may receive your truth this day, that you may get a victory. So I just pray, Lord, and I ask that all these things be done for your glory, Lord, and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's go to John 19, John chapter 19, and we're gonna begin at verse one as we talk about the sufferings of Jesus Christ. You know, that's what the Lord is showing me. We can all talk big talk. Lately, he's been telling me in my prayers, put up or shut up. Don't talk all this stuff about what you want to do and what you will do, and you can't even part with your gold necklace. Man, come on. You know what I mean? If we're going to get serious for Christ, then we need to identify with him up and down the line. That's something the apostles understood. When they climbed up into that upper room, you know, they, they couldn't go back to the life that they lived. They couldn't do the things that they did. The Roman army was after them. Anybody identifying with Christ was going to be slain or probably share the same fate. So they all ran off that night. But when they saw Jesus ascend into heaven and they went into that upper room, they knew deep down, this is, this is the son of God. And they knew to tarry until 10 days until that spirit fell upon them. But at that point, that was the truest time that they believed God. We've got to get to the place of believing him, trusting him, desiring him, that we can get a job done for him. Look at John 19. Look at verse 1. He says, then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. You guys want to see what scourge means? Scourge means... The word is mastigo. It means to whip, to scourge, metaphorically to scourge, plague, calamity, misfortune, especially sent by God 
to discipline or punish. Now, you know that Jesus gave himself up to the Father, okay, that he would be that sacrificial lamb. It says, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put and, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Uh, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the, wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate saith unto him, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. So Pilate naturally, who could have called the shots here, washed his hands of the situation, said, hey, if you guys crucify him, you're gonna do it yourselves because I don't find any fault in Jesus Christ. It says the Jews answered him, we have a law and by our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he had delivered me into thee, or unto thee, uh, have the greater sin. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm telling people this too tonight, that they may have an understanding that we must get that Jesus himself, when, you know, all he was, was a righteous man. That's all he did. All he did was proclaim the truth. And this is what he got. You and I don't have to plan to be killed. All we've got to do is be Christians. You want to suffer for Christ? Be a Christian. Paul says that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I'm telling you, if, if I'm not being persecuted for being a Christian, then chances are I'm not living godly. I'm living worldly because the world will always go against that okay, which is not like itself. That's a big eye opener for me. If I'm living godly and Paul promises through inspiration of the Holy Ghost that we will suffer persecution and there's no persecution coming my way, I might be one of those evil men and seducers who are waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. What do I mean by that? Because some people will hear what I'm saying tonight and say, you know what? It don't take all that. God wants us to be fruitful and do all the things that he says. So just because I'm not being persecuted doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. That's an outright lie. The devil can identify Christ when he sees him, and that is who he's going to attack. Jesus says, if I were of the world, the world would love his own. But because I am not of the world, that they would come after him. If we live godly, we will suffer persecution. Now, let's look at some examples of this. Let's think about the fact that I'm in the workplace, okay? And I'm a Christian. 
And I know that I work in the education system. I know there's a lot of things in there that got nothing to do with God. But the Lord tells me through the spirit, preach the word. Okay, so you know that there are people at that place unsaved. And it doesn't have to happen at work. It can happen outside of work. That's what human resources is for, to keep everybody in line. They'll call them getting complaints. This is happening. You may see some homosexuals in the workplace. You might even see, you know, some people that are, you know, fornicate, living with their boyfriend or whatever. Now, are you not to tell them? You see what I'm saying? How long do you, I think I'm going to keep my job by telling people the truth in Jesus Christ? And I may have charges pressed against me. Things may happen to me for standing for the truth. But you see, when you live godly, you don't ignore sin. And you see, that's something that the apostles never did. That's something that the prophets never did. They became the mouthpiece of God. And what they would do is when they saw sin, they spoke of it. Paul says it this way. What did he say in uh, 2 Timothy uh, 4? He says that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and shall be turned from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. He says, but watch thou in all things. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So that tells us right there that you can open your mouth for Jesus and it can get you in some trouble. But if you're living godly, what difference does it make? Now, I know some people will say, well, maybe God didn't tell me to say it. Maybe I should keep my mouth shut. But the thing is, is when Jesus saw sin, did he just ignore it and walk on by? Or did he preach what people needed to hear, whether they believed it or not? We've got to be very realistic in ourselves because I'll tell you something. I was just looking at a video today that I heard before of Bruce Lee. Now, some people would say, oh, he's going into Eastern philosophy. I'm not. Bruce Lee is most likely in hell for not believing in Jesus Christ. But one thing he said during an interview was so important. He said, you know, I want to be a lot of things. And I call myself this person and I do movies and I do all types of, uh, what do you call it? Like displays of martial arts and everything that he knew. But he said, you know what? Who am I really? I, you know, I am going to play that video. But he said, you know, who am I if I'm not lying to myself? You know, and that's a very difficult thing to do. Who are you truly? Are you really a Christian? Do we really live like Christians? Or are we just putting on this veneer? We're having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. That's what this is really about. But Bruce Lee said, yeah, I can do all this stuff, but am I really that person? not lying to myself, but am I really who I say I am? So he said, because of what he was doing, he had to practice every day. He's talking about fighting, okay, and all that. But, you know, in some ways, it's the same kind of discipline of being a Christian, reading your Bible. How can I tell people to pray if I don't pray? How can I tell people to be godly if I'm not godly? How can I tell people to forsake the world and I'm not forsaking the world? That makes us hypocrites. So we've got to be very realistic. Is Paul said what he said is true, that all who will live godly will suffer persecution? Or are we going to think that Paul was just speaking about his time, but Christians are new and improved today? This is what we need to figure out, because somebody is right and somebody is wrong. And if I've got to choose who's right, 
I'm gonna stand with the word of God and let every man be alive. We must get to that place of truly understanding. Yes, Sarah. And I totally agree. And I think what has happened in a lot of ways is that the church has lost its fight and it's lost its fight over the years because back when modalism, sensationalism, uh, when it's Pentecostal, you know, all that came in, you know, the holidays in the church, having, you know, church became a fun center instead of actually being, you know, like the base camp that it used to be. I mean, we saw what early day churches looked like. They were not glamorized. They were mm -hmm. like these brick, you know, such by such buildings. And mm -hmm. there was a lot of church houses in the beginning and the fire's gone out. So today it's like, if you stand up and you, you believe the word entirely, which we do, then you're, you're a radical. You're looked at as crazy because it's like, no, you have to believe the scriptures 100%, but I agree with you because it makes us take a hard look at ourselves to say, do we believe what the scripture says no matter if we're the only one that does it? That's right, because we're going to reach a time, guys, where we're going to face heavy persecution. You're going to seem like the only crazy person in town. Husbands and wives are going to separate. Kids are going to abandon you. Your job's going to tell you. One more crazy comment about this Jesus, and you're going to find your way on the street. You're going to be seen as the only person that understands this. If you're looking to do this thing with a bunch of people, I'm telling you, you may as well hang it up. Because the thing is, is it's going to become slim pickings. It's going to get very, very thin. If you guys see me go off course and I'm preaching some false gospel, get out of here while you can. Okay, because your salvation is that important. But this is how crazy it's going to get. Look at verse 11 or verse 12. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, if thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. So we must understand that whoever is willing to crown Jesus Christ king, savior and Lord over his life, you are gonna go on a collision course with Caesar. We must understand this. Now, Caesar's a type of antichrist, but they made it clear. If you call this man king, then what you're saying is Caesar is not. And you know, that's a death sentence, okay? So you've got to choose in your life, who is your king? Is it the antichrist or is it Jesus Christ? And we better solve that because the only way we're ever gonna make it through persecution is, is Christ in you. He's the only one that could. Look at verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down uh, in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement. But in the Hebrew, it's Gabbatha. And it was a preparation of the Passover in about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So this is exactly how it's gonna go. Pilate didn't really wanna go against Caesar. Caesar would have killed him. But you see, even though he knew it was the truth, he couldn't really stick up for Jesus because Pilate was a part of the Roman army. And this is what will happen to you. If you know that Jesus Christ is right, knowing he's right is not enough. Knowing that Jesus Christ is the truth is not enough. 
It's going to take a full commitment to Christ being in you, that he changes your nature, your heart, and your mind, that you become like him from the inside out, that you can follow him. All other logic, all other feelings will not cause you to follow Jesus. Trust me, you may feel sorry, but not sorry enough to get in that fire with the three Hebrew boys. You see, they knew, they had settled it in themselves that day that either God is gonna deliver us from where we are or we're just going to get into the fire and die. But either way, King, we will not serve you nor your gods. We've got to get to that place too of being sold out. But if you read that in Daniel 1 about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, everybody likes Daniel 3. But look at Daniel 1. They refused to eat the food that they brought them, and they refused to serve their gods. They made very clear, I'm not going to be a partaker of your diet. I'm not going to go according to your laws. I'm not going to obey any of that. I'm just a Hebrew slave in, 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 um, in Babylon, okay? But the point that they made clear was, we will not serve you. You see, what's causing us to not follow the Lord too is, we got the same appetite as the devil. So if we got the devil's appetite, who do we think we're fighting against? That's the whole point. We could say right now, let's build an army and let's destroy the devil. But in your heart, you love to live this life. We've got to settle that in us. Lord, I'm either on your side or I'm on the devil's side. That's the only way we're going to get a job done in Christ. So he says in verse uh, 15, so verse 16, uh, then delivered he him, therefore unto them, to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side of one and, and Jesus in the midst. And uh, Pilate wrote a title and put it on a cross. Uh, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews and the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And they then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And the soldiers, when they have crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts. Uh, to every soldier apart and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from top, from the top throughout. And uh, they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, uh, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, when saith they parted his raiment among them, and for their vesture, or for my vesture, they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and the um and his mother's sister Mary, uh, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he saith to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own house. After this, Jesus, knowing that all these, that all things were now accomplished, 
that the scripture might be fulfilled, he saith, I thirst. Uh, now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So as you can see, Jesus fulfilled the mission of his father. He laid on that cross. And you see, people don't understand that Jesus was naked. See, they don't tell you that. He was stripped bare for everything. What humiliation it is to be the son of God, king of kings, and Lord of lords. And there you are, stripped naked. Can't even bend your legs to sit upright because the bruises on your back would scrape against that old rugged cross and you can't even breathe. You've got to push your legs up just to be able to breathe with a crown of thorns on his head, penetrating his skull. And here he is saving people while he's still on the cross, being mocked by people who don't even want him. But all he could see was that even their children would get saved. We've got no idea what the sufferings of Jesus Christ was all about. Nails driven through his hands and his feet and he was being held up by his own weight. You know, you can't imagine a more horrifying death than this. Am I bringing this up to make people feel sorry? No, but I'm trying to tell you that the sufferings of Jesus Christ is something to be honored. It's something to behold. You mean to say he died for me? He did this for me while I was yet a sinner? That I've lived the life I live and all I can think about today is me, my life? Losing my job, losing my money, losing a relationship, friends in the world, when everybody had forsaken him? Man, you've got to be kidding. He is now sitting in the heavens on the right hand of the Father with heavenly places for each one of us. And all we can think about is our own fulfillment and joy. Man, we better think again about the sufferings of Christ because if he did all that for us, why can't we do it for him? But you see, that's the difference between his heart and the self-proclaiming Christian. You don't think that Peter and the guys knew what I'm saying right now? Of course they did. Many of them watched it firsthand. They had their lives on the run. But you see, they honored Christ because they could not go back to the world. But as long as you and I believe we've got a place in this world, we'll never serve the Lord. Forget this mess, forget every piece of it. Use what you need to get done what you need to do. But you and I need to go on to eternity with Christ because if we're Christians and we claim to be, that's where we belong. Forget this mess and pleasing men. Forget this mess and trying to establish things here. Get lined up with Christ. Let him establish his kingdom. Let him build his army. But we better make sure one thing that we're with him. Now, I'm bringing this up for a lot of reasons, because this country is going to be taken over and we got to figure out whether we're with Christ. You can forget about your wife or husband if they're not following you. If they have not set it in their heart and minds to pursue Jesus, then they are going to leave you at the most inopportune time. It's going to be about those who want Christ, those who are willing to suffer for Christ, those who are called chosen and faithful versus those who were just playing church and didn't take it that serious. We've got to be sold out for Christ because the new world order is coming in real heavy and it's gonna come in on a sea of blood. I'm not trying to scare people, I'm telling you what is. 
I want the troops to be ready. I want soldiers and saints to put away those things that keep them from serving the Lord. Because when it comes down to it, if you can't suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, if you don't even find it a glorifying thing, then you will accept the mark of the beast by nature. A self-loving person can't serve Christ. A fearful person can't serve Christ. It's not about you and I doing this. It's about Jesus Christ in us getting a job done. You and I, we can consider ourselves already dead. What we need to figure out is, are we willing to have the life of Christ to do what Jesus Christ says? I'm not sparing anything anymore ever again, because the Lord has given me visions on the invasion. He's showing me what's come. Man, the most unimaginable things are going to be your reality. But if you're not in Christ, where he says we are perplexed, but not shaken, where we are on every side, evil is, but yet they can keep themselves together. It's going to be Christ in you, withstanding the evil day. Man, we better wake up. We better wake up and we better wake up fast. I want to read an article real quick because I'm going to have an article for every little uh, scripture that we go over. You know, sometimes it works better when people can see you're not the only one that that sees it this way. Because right now I could seem like some kind of nut. But anyway, this is called Partakers of His Suffering. He says, if you are going to be used by God, he will take you through a number of experiences that are not meant for you personally at all. They are designed to make you useful in his hands and to enable you to understand what takes place in the lives of others. Because of this process, you will never be surprised by what comes your way. Uh, you say, oh, I can't deal with that person. Why can't you? God gave you sufficient opportunities to learn from him about that problem, but you turned away, not heeding the lesson because it seemed foolish to spend time that way. Or spend, sorry, your time that way. The sufferings of Christ were not those of ordinary people. He suffered according to the will of God, having a different point of view of suffering from ours. It is only through our relationship with Jesus Christ that we can understand what God is after in his dealing with us. It says, uh, when it comes to suffering, it is part of our Christian culture to know, I mean, to want to know God's purpose beforehand. In the history of the Christian church, the tendency has been to avoid being identified with the sufferings of Jesus Christ People have sought to carry out God's orders through a shortcut of their own. God's way is always the way of suffering, the way of the long road home. You may as well say the rough side of the mountain because there are no shortcuts in this. Are we partakers of Christ's sufferings? Are we prepared for God to stamp out our personal ambitions? Are we prepared for God to destroy our individual decisions by supernaturally transforming them. It will mean not, not knowing why God is taking us that way because knowing would make us spiritually proud. We never realize at the time when God is putting us through, we go through, we go through it more or less without understanding. Then suddenly we come to a place 
of enlightenment and realized God has strengthened me and I didn't even know it. That's a beautiful thing because this is all about growth. Everything, everything is difficult at first, but we've got to get to the place of pursuing him, being trained of the Lord to do his righteous will. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and let's look at verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17. I mean, you know, your bodies are gonna suffer anyway. You know, most Americans have cancer simply by the food that they eat. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people are dying of diseases that they don't even know are there. People are gonna die from heart disease and all these different things. Why not give your body to Jesus Christ and suffer for him? Because you know you'll have a crown in eternity. I know that sounds crazy, but you see, you're gonna get old and suffer anyway. Why not suffer for the purpose of Jesus Christ? This body won't last forever, but we treat this world as if it is. We really do think, no, no, I can't. I need to hold on to this, but this is all gonna burn up. But you see the wine of the fornication of the harlot, what the devil can make you and I believe? Something that's not even real, not even going anywhere. He can psych you out and keep you from looking forward to eternity. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 17. He says, that which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools of gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face, I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak, howbeit whence, uh, whereinsoever uh, any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Why? Because Christ's people don't boast. Okay, but he says, I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measures in prison, more frequently in deaths off. He says, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once, uh, once was, I, was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. So Paul was even betrayed by those who were around him. He says, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You know who can identify with a lot of this? Believe it or not, Brother Henry Groover. He is a living witness. The man is walking around with cancer and he's going through so much. But the thing that he's doing is he's recognizing for the sufferings of Christ, I will do what he has called me to do. 
That's something that we must recognize. The sufferings of Christ is a glorious thing. Look at verse 28. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 28. He says, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So Paul is doing this because of the care of all the churches. And you would say to yourself, can someone love like that? Of course they can. That's what Jesus did. You know, Jesus cared for the churches. What does John say in 1 John 4? He says, there is no fear in love because perfect love casteth out fear. So when our love has been made perfected, we're not gonna be worried about self. We're gonna be worried about those people who have not heard of Jesus Christ, who, who may have a chance of eternal life, those who you want to see make it. That's the true love of God. Jesus says when he comes that he would share his love with them. What is the love of Christ? The love of Christ is, what's that? Preach the truth, but it's a life of self-denial. It's loving your neighbor as yourself and loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the love of God. But everybody will say, I got the love of Jesus. But do you know what the love of Jesus is? Because perfect love casteth out fear. What keeps many of us from obeying God and doing what he says? It's fear of something. You may say, I ain't afraid. Nobody make me do something. Look over your resume. Look over your list of things. There is something that you're afraid of is why you won't do what God says. You're afraid of suffering. You're afraid of losing. But you see, perfect love in Christ is all about getting a job done regardless of me. This is the true heart of Christ. Yeah, Brother Sam. Yeah, we should have still go German because uh, Mark 14 says we love because he first loved us. So Amen. If we don't know his love, we can't love. Absolutely. And, and Sam is right because this is what's being brought forward today. You get a lot of false love. People want to feel love, but they don't want to show love. True love is self-sacrifice. True love is unconditional. If I've got conditions to my love, I don't love you. I love you because you're staying in line with the conditions. But if you break the conditions, hey, man, I may have to think seriously about my heart and how I'm feeling. And that's what a lot of people in, in the time of persecution are going to do to Christ. But you see, we've got to love him above all things. And we've got to walk with him. He says in verse 28, oh, verse 29, he says, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which concern my infirmities. How many of us can actually say that? I'm gonna glory in my suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. Look at infirmities, want of strength, weakness, weakness of body, and native weakness and frailty, feebleness of health or sickness of the soul, want of strength and capacity, I mean, and capacity are requisite to understand a thing, to do things great and glorious, to restrain corrupt desires, to bear trials and troubles. Man, that's a glorious thing. And I want to have this kind of heart towards God because you know what I'm finding out? That's the only heart that's going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. The only heart that's going to make it into the kingdom of heaven is loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus says that is the first and great commandment of the law. 
That means that the Lord could ask anything of you. When you're so in love with him, you will do it. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. What's greater than salvation? What's greater than taking a coat off your back to give it to your neighbor because he lacks? That's true love. That's the true love of God. Look at verse 32 in Damascus, the governor. I think that's where I am. Uh, actually, verse 31. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forever, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, sorry, the king kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. So you see, Paul, you know, he ran for his life when need be. But one thing Paul did do was preach the gospel. Let's look at Acts 14. Acts chapter 14, and let's look at verse one. Because I think for the most part, you know, most of us, we do believe in Jesus Christ. But there's some key things I think that we miss and we justify. And we tell ourselves, well, I don't need to do this because one way or another, God is going to be okay. But if he wrote his word to us for a reason, then these things we need to obey. And if we don't have it, he is an ever-present help in our time of need. Lord, make my heart like yours. And I may mean it. Don't just say it because it sounds poetic. But then when he says, all right, first things first, I want you to get rid of that job. And I want you to go to Kenya. I got your ticket ready. You just show up at JetBlue. You see, then it's, well, you know, I'm not too sure. You know, maybe that wasn't the Lord. It could be the devil. No, but you really sincerely want to serve the Lord, then ask him with an open heart, whatever it is that he may ask. But this takes time. Of course it does. But the point is, is we must understand that if we're not doing his will, there is nothing for us. There's nothing for us but to obey God. And like I said, why I've been preaching hard lately, man, it's the love for everybody because I'm knowing what's happening. He's giving me visions of these things. Guys, if you saw some of the things that I saw that's about to happen to America, that's about to happen to people, you would take this thing deadly, deadly serious. This is no joke. Acts 14, look at verse one. And it came to pass in Iconium uh, that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews. And so spake that a, a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds uh, evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the, of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers uh, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. So as you can see, they might have departed from one city to go to another, but they're back on, on course with what the Lord says. Preach the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. 
the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in the speech of Lycania, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. So, you know, naturally when a heathen or, or, you know, a Gentile who doesn't know the Lord sees a miracle, they're going to credit their local gods. Look at verse 12. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius or Mercury because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out. Now you would have to say here, Paul and Barnabas could have minded their business. That's what people believe, that's what they believe, you know, so on and so forth. But instead they got involved in this situation because they saw that the people were worshiping the wrong God. Then he says, and saying, sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they of the people that had not done sacrifice unto them. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So what did Paul say that was so wrong? Paul told people the outright truth. But you see, this goes right back to what Paul also said for all who will live godly will suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I don't wanna be deceived, I wanna live godly. And I realize all it takes to be persecuted in this world, you don't have to go to a foreign country. All you've got to do is identify yourself with Jesus and stand for Jesus. And I promise you, the persecution will come. You see, we might stand for the Lord in some things when it's safe for us, but we got to get to the place of being godly. And we need to seek God to be more like him because everything outside of that is, you know, a lot of people kidding themselves. And I mean, that's something I don't want to do. I'm not saying I'm ready to die, but you know, one thing I'm recognizing is, man, you know, this is the only way it's going to come up. Am I going to stand for him? Or am I just going to pretend that I'm a Christian? You know, this is why we're saved, that we may save others, that we may be a mouthpiece for the Lord. Look at verse 20. How be it as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Can you imagine being stoned in the city, left for dead? The Lord lifts you up, you flee, and then you go right back to that city to preach the gospel. 
Look at verse 22 as to why he did what he did. This is the biggest part. He says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. We must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. We must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. This is what we got to pay attention to. I'm going to read another article and we'll get back into a scripture, but you know, this is the reality of the gospel. Now I could say Paul didn't write that. That's somebody else's interpretation. But what he's saying is the outright truth. For all who will live godly, this is guaranteed your life as a Christian. And if we're not suffering persecution in one way or another, then perhaps we're not living godly. Now I know I'm gonna get some booze and some tomatoes and some people may unsubscribe, but this is the outright truth is what the gospel says. That's the bottom line, the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Guys, listen to this article. This is one called The Sufferings of Christ and the Sovereignty of God. He says what I would, uh, let's just get right into it. No, I'll read it from the beginning. What I would like to do this final session is magnify Christ in his suffering. And in the process, I would like to venture the ultimate biblical explanation for the existence of suffering. And I would like to do it in such a way that you would be freed from the paralyzing effects of discouragement and self-pity and fear and pride so that we would spend ourselves able or disabled to spreading the passion for the supremacy of God in all things, including suffering for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. This is called the ultimate reason for suffering. I believe the entire universe exists to display the greatness of the glory of the grace of God. I might have said more simply that the entire universe exists to display the greatness of the glory of God. That would be true, but the Bible is more specific. The glory of God shines most brightly, most fully, most beautifully in the manifestations of the glory of his grace. Therefore, this is the ultimate aim and the final explanation of all things, including suffering. God decreed from the from all eternal or all eternity, sorry, to display the greatness of the glory of his grace for the enjoyment of his creatures. And he revealed to us that this is the ultimate aim and the explanation of why there is sin and why there is suffering and why there is a great suffering savior. Jesus Christ, the son of God came in the flesh to suffer and die and by the suffering and death to save undeserving sinners like you and me. This coming to suffering and die is the supreme manifestation of the greatness of the glory of the grace of God. Or to say it a little differently, the death of Christ in supreme suffering is the highest, clearest, surest display of the glory of the grace of God. If that is true, then the stunning truth is revealed, namely, suffering is an essential part of the created universe. I don't like that new age garbage in which uh, the greatness of the glory of grace of God can be most uh, fully revealed. Suffering is an essential part of the tapestry of the universe 
so that the weaving of grace can be seen for what it really is. Or to put it most simply and starkly, the ultimate reason that suffering exists is the universe is, I mean, in the universe is so that Christ might display the greatness of the glory of his grace, of the grace of God, by suffering in himself to overcome our suffering. The suffering of the utterly innocent and infinitely holy son of God in the place of utterly undeserving sinners to bring, um, to bring us to the everlasting joy is the greatest display of the glory of God, the glory of God's grace that is ever was, that ever was, sorry, or ever could be. In uh, conceiving a universe in which the display of glory of his grace, God did not choose plan B. This was the moment, he says Good Friday, so you know, anyway, uh, for which uh, everything in the universe was planned. Let me get down to the point, because you know, I don't agree with everything he says, but he says the biblical pathway to truth. Walk with me now, if you would, on the biblical pathway that has led me to, uh, to this truth. To this point, it just looks like high sounding theology or philosophy, but it is far more than that. It is what, it is what the very words of scripture clearly teach. So he says, before the foundations of the world, let's begin. You know what? I'm going to get back to this. I'm going to get back to this because this guy's thing is pretty long. I know he's going to get to a point, but I'm actually going to read something else and we'll get right into the scripture because, I mean, I it's, it's long and I know we're kind of pushed for time right now. I will put that in the description box. But, guys, this is an even better one. Seven signs you love comfort more than Jesus. This is more right to the point. Okay, so here are the seven signs. You are a referee, not a player. When comfort trumps Jesus, cynicism and judgmentalism are soon to follow. Comfortable Christians uh, move from a player on the field to a referee on the sidelines. Think about it. Players are too busy to investigate holding or lining up illegally, uh, but referees, this is their only purpose. Referees which watch uh, every player on every play, and when someone commits a penalty, the flag is thrown. Foul, that's what they say. Uh, she did something in children's ministry I don't agree with. Foul, I didn't like what the preacher said today. Active Christians don't have time for this nonsense. They are serving and building the kingdom. The church should ignore referees. They don't understand the game. They aren't even on the team. This is absolutely true. When you're busy for God, you're not following people around to see what they're doing. All you want to do is what he tells you to do. This is two. Your desire and passion for God are stagnant. Christians should live with a healthy discomfort. Always, you should welcome preachers who push you to challenge you to explore deeper levels of God's nature and character. You should constantly push to know and understand more of God. Every part of your life should awaken uh, you to God's unfailing love, infinite grace, and immeasurable power. The process of God molding you into his image is a lifelong pursuit. You don't arrive. God is infinite. 
that stretching uh, towards the infinite God requires growing pains. Comfortable Christians don't like pain. But if the goal is to know God more intimately, you must live with a healthy discomfort. <laughs> this is three. You talk like an atheist. When God is overshadowed by comfort, he rarely comes out of your mouth during conversation. Oof. Take a breath. So anyway, it says, how often does God cross your mind in a 24-hour period? At work, do you look for opportunities to inject God's name into conversations? At school, does God shape your encounters with friends and teachers? Whatever you are passionate about, you will talk about. Are you passionate about God? Whatever you are passionate about, you will talk about. Write that down. When I met my wife, I called all my friends and even called people I didn't know. I wanted the world to know this beautiful, amazing woman actually liked me. Uh, what about God? Are you passionate about him? Would any of your coworkers or classmates know that you are a Christian? When comfort drives the train, God takes the back seat. 100% the truth. This is four. You keep God on a leash. You stay right there, God. I don't do anything crazy. This is the implicit mantra of uh, comfortable Christians. God is confined to a box. Answers rarely fall in the gray area. God rarely operates beyond human understanding. Miracles, healings, demons, none of these filter through the box well. So they are out. Comfortable Christians often use phrases like, God doesn't work that way, and God can't do that because God isn't all powerful. He is most of the time powerful. Okay, so it's, uh, this is the next one. A God without a leash is a God who will act in ways man can't understand. That's uncomfortable. But if God is not all powerful, he is not a God worth serving. So we must make a decision Let's go for let's go of the leash or let go of the leash, sorry, or follow a false God. This is true. We must let God govern our lives. I've even seen areas in ministry where I wanted to be comfortable and some things the Lord could have called me to that I wouldn't do. These are growing pains for all of us that we may give God the, the reign in our lives and let him do what he will. Outside of that, the will of God won't be met in our lives. God's will will be done, but whether or not we'll be a part of it is what really matters. This is five. You begin to compromise your morals. Yesterday, I ran across a, a, a first few chapters of Judges. It was around Judges 2 and 12. God started doing work on my heart. This is what the Spirit awakened in me. Uh, when comfort sets in, morals are compromised. The Israelites entered into the promised land, conquered the nations in their path, settled into their new home and started serving other gods. Anyone else find this baffling? How could they uh, desert God so easily? Their answer is comfort. The Israelites needed God to conquer the nations. They couldn't do it without him. Once the conquering was over, the need for God uh, dissipated. And when the need for God subsides, morals follow closely behind. Here is where God split open my heart. I am no different from the Israelites. Every day, I allow uh, the God of comfort to shackle me. 
I take my eyes off him and justify actions God clearly condemns. Uh, think about your life. Are you lowering the moral bar? Do you value holiness? This is not about legalism. This is about your heart. A heart desperate for God is a heart dedicated to thinking and acting in ways that reveals your love for him. This is six. You view Christian uh, living as a list of don'ts. Uh, Comfort-driven Christians have a laundry list of don'ts. They don't, in, I mean, they believe in righteousness by subtraction. <laughs> so you won't catch them drinking or cursing, at least not in public. But righteousness by subtraction is one-sided righteousness. It's half truth. The whole truth is your heart should grieve as, as uh, much uh, when you fail to live out the do's as it does uh, when you fail to refrain from the don'ts. But comfortable Christians don't like the do's. It involves them getting out of their comfort zone. It involves them taking the message of the gospel to their neighbor. It involves them feeding the poor or correcting injustices. Are you minimizing righteousness to a list of don'ts? Does your heart break for those who don't know Jesus? Do you grieve when you pass over an opportunity to plead the cause of the poor and oppressed? Is your heart desensitized to the orphans and the widows? If not, maybe it's time to ask whether you follow comfort or Jesus. This is the seventh and final. Every person in your circle looks to act like you. A few weeks ago, God introduced me to a young man. It was obvious this guy had a tough life, but I was drawn to him immediately. I invited him into the college ministry uh, events and introduced him to a few of our leaders. Then we had a phone conversation and, and in this conversation, he informed me he was a homosexual who recently spent time in prison for arson and attempted murder. What I thought next is the same thing some of you are probably thinking. What if he hurt someone? What if he steals something? What was he? What was I doing? Uh, see the problem? The old demon comfort reared its ugly head when it explained all the bad sins he committed. I immediately felt my comfort violated. I threw up walls and labeled him. And this is what comfort um, says. The gospel is not good news for everyone. It's good news for those in your circle. Instead of the message for the world, the gospel is a message for your people. Uh, when comfort is more important than Jesus, small groups become country clubs and churches become barricaded forts. They become barricaded forts. And then it says, uh, for, for very ones, we should be reaching for Jesus uh, are the ones that allow to enter. So then, you know, this is really interesting stuff. I got more, but let's get back into the scriptures. If anyone has anything they want to add, please do. If not, let's go to Acts chapter five. You know, and something is telling me to play this video. So I think I'm going to do it. You know, and I already told people it's like a short clip 
of something that Bruce Lee said. As I said, Bruce Lee is most likely in hell if he didn't believe in Jesus Christ. There are people that have visions of it, but there's something that he said that was very significant. This is not about fighting, okay? But he made a point, the same thing that Jesus said about us being sober and being serious. So I'm gonna play this real quick. It's just a short clip, but it's just a reminder of, man, we can't fake this thing. I'm by no means saying that Bruce Lee is a part of Jesus Christ, okay? I'm just bringing up a point of something the Lord directed me to this morning. This is called honestly expressing yourself. You guys listen to this. To me, okay, to me. Ultimately, martial art means honestly expressing yourself. Now, it is very difficult to do, okay? I mean, it is, it is easy for me to put on a show and be cocky and be flooded with a cocky feeling and then feel like pretty cool or all that. Or I can make all kinds of phony things, you see what I mean? Blinded by it. Or I can show you some really fancy movement. But to express oneself honestly, not lying to oneself, and to express myself honestly, that, my friend, is very hard to do. And you have to train. You have to keep your reflexes so that when you want it, it's there. When you want to move, you're moving. And when you move, you are determined to move. Not taking one inch, not anything less than that. If I want to punch, I'm going to do it, man, and I'm going to do it, you see. So I mean, so that is the type of thing you have to train yourself into it, to become one with the punch. Now, I'm leaning for a little bit, uh, hoping not to hurt any camera angle. I mean, you got to put the whole hip into it and snap it and get all your energy in there and make this into a weapon. Okay, so right away, you know, as I said, we're not talking about fighting. But the point he made was, I can't mentally ascend to being more than I am. So I train myself daily that I may be that individual. Because a lot of people don't honestly express themselves. If somebody were to say, Derek, are you like Christ? Then you see, there may be a part of me that will say, there's things I need to improve on. But mentally, I'll ascend to myself and say, well, you know, I just think I need more of the power of Christ and I think I should be almost there. But you see, I would be lying because the thing is, is that in order to really be who you are, we got to be real. Do I pray like I'm supposed to? Is there anything in this Bible that resembles me? Am I living the Christian life or am I having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof? This is something that we've got to recognize. You see, you're only going to, you know, when you're that place with Christ, when you do it. When all the talking goes out the window, when all the philosophies and things are gone, when when Paul says be instinct, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Paul was saying, keep your fire lit. Be ready. You don't know what God's going to call you to do. Be available. Very similar to what he's talking about with the arts. You don't have time in his situation, if you're getting ready to get into a fight and someone attacks you just out of the blue and you got to figure out, okay, step one was, I think I turned and that's what I did in practice. You don't have time for that. You're either that individual or you're not. I'm not saying don't wait on the spirit, but when Paul says be instant, 
We've got to be available to be used of God. And the only way we're going to do that is if we learn to walk in the spirit that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, some people may call me a heretic for this, but I don't really care. I understand what he was saying. I'm not in line with what he believes and what he gets into, but I do understand this one thing. He got to a place of somewhat of an inward walk to recognize, who am I really? I can be an actor. You put me in a movie, I'll kick 20 guys by eyes. But who am I really when the cameras are not there, when people are not watching? Am I really Bruce Lee or am I Bruce Lee the actor? You see, that's where we've got to be real with self. Are we like Christ really? Or are we like Christ in Christian settings? These are realities that we've got to come to if we're going to walk with Christ. You got a point, Sam? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's so there's a difference, though, like that's, that's kind of hard to grasp from tangible. What he's talking about, he's talking about making something that in a way is not tangible, a, tan a tangible, like he's making it tangible. And mm -hmm. as a from a Christian walk, though, point to standpoint, um, like, yeah, we have to pray and we have to that. like, yeah, yeah, definitely want to be on top of your flesh. But like. We don't make things tangible. God makes them tangible. And our requirement would be the faith aspect mm -hmm. and making sure that our flesh doesn't get in the way of us having faith. Mm -hmm. You know, so so we make it tangible through faith. But you know that God wouldn't violate anybody's free will. So how do we do that? We yield ourselves to him, right? How do we have faith? No. I'm saying how do we how are we able to do what God says? We've got to yield to him. God's not going to make us obey him. We've got to yield to him. And the one thing the Bible does say, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God's not going to do it for you. Yielding to God, presenting your body, turning all things over to him, and God will work in you. But if we still want to keep a little bit back for ourselves and do what we do, then we can't serve God the way that we want. I'm not bringing right, up right. that Bruce Lee is equivalent to Jesus Christ. Right, we have the to point I'm making flesh. is, exactly. But one thing he knew, Paul says, I buffet my body right. and I bring it unto subjection that I myself, when I have preached the word, would not become a castaway. He's talking about buffeting his body too in a different form of way. But if you don't train anything, you're going to lose it. You stop teaching, you stop preaching, you stop going out there and doing what God says. Watch how timid you become when it comes time to preach the word. So, you know, you've got to condition and train your body for fasting. What happens when you don't fast in a long time? You can't even fast one day before the devil tries to convince you. Man, you know, it's not really a fast. I mean, you can have a few crackers. But when you get used to fasting and your flesh is trained, notice after day two and day three, what begins to happen to you? You start to train that flesh and you begin to want to fast more. It's all about conditioning. Yes, we yield to the Lord. But what I'm saying is, you know, it would be stupid of me to not follow the things that Jesus says and call myself a Christian. How dare I to even call myself that? And I don't even resemble the life that he has. They were called Christians in Antioch because of the fact that they were like Christ. They had been with Jesus. When they saw Jesus, or when they saw the disciples, they saw Jesus Christ. 
Remember, when they spake boldly, they had taken note that the ignorant and unlearned had been with Christ. So there's got to be the life of Christ that comes in us. And the word Christian is not even really a term for us anyways. That was given to them by the apostles. Are we followers of Jesus or are we not? I mean, the Romans gave him that nickname. But we say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But do we understand where it even came from? The Romans saw that the Christians were like Christ or the disciples were like Christ. And he said, look at these little Christlings or Christians. They remind me of Jesus. But can we say that about ourselves? Wherever we go, even if we're in church, if we're out in the street, if we're at work, can people look at us and say, you know what? You remind me of that Jesus character that I read about. And I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to get there overnight. But the point I'm making is that term is so loosely loosely used for how many of us are willing to suffer for his name's sake. You don't just get there like that. Yeah. One point two about what Paul said about I can preach the gospel and be a castaway is that that's something that really should like settle in our minds because we can preach the gospel and still go to hell. Yeah. We just read a listen to a video last night yeah. that we had out about that. And people so, that were proud, people that took their salvation for granted. Sorry, make it for no, it's and so I mean that should be something that really just it brings in our hearts because it's like if it says that you can preach the gospel and get cast away, then you know that means that that's just it's not enough to just preach the gospel. There's more that always has to be done, and you know. So for me, it's like I, mean, I want the the Lord to search me every day. I want you know the Lord to show me every day what I'm not doing of Him because it's just that serious, especially the days that we're living in now with everything getting ramping up the days are getting shorter. I mean, it's just, everything's just coming to a head. And it's like, I know I can say, I know I still have stuff I need to work on, but it's like, it has to become more serious because it's like, if we really want to serve the Lord, then there's not going to be any arguing or dissimulation in the body of Christ. It's going to be like, when the Lord tells us to go, we're going to go. Like Leonard Ravenhill said, you know how people could tell you, you're too eccentric for Jesus Christ. You're crazy or you this and that. But he said, notice that no one ever tells you you can't be too rich. You see, we can, and we can have excess of a lot of things, but a little too much Jesus, starting to get a little bit crazy there. But what's the truth? You know, but that, that's exactly how some things play out. Yeah. You, know, just, you can never get too rich, but you can be a little bit too serious about your Jesus. So like... I think I think definitely Sarah's point is good, and also I, I see the point you're making. It's like, yeah, you can't to do the things God is calling you to do. You have to have your flesh on your submission. Period. Amen. But even if you have your flesh under submission and you have no faith, then it's useless. Well, yeah. I don't even think you can subdue your flesh without, without faith. faith. Exactly. You know what I yeah. mean? So yeah. yeah, I get where you're coming so from. It's like it's a different standpoint than Bruce Lee because he has no faith. His like. Dude, if he yeah, faith in himself. Yeah, but yeah, right. But if he doesn't have it, what he needs, he's going to get knocked out. That's the end of that. Well, I'll tell you, you know? guys a story. This is funny. Well, it ain't funny. It's actually sad. But there's a guy that um, I can't remember his name, Peniel Nandi. He does these videos. He doesn't speak English, but he rec- um, records a lot of stuff that, you know, people who are prophets, God has shown them visions and things of hell. 
said Bruce Lee's in hell right now getting beat up by demons. And it's like he can't even relax. That, you know, he's, he was like asking for help. And they were like, all right, let's fight. And he doesn't really want to fight. And they're beating him, punching him, kicking him. And some people think that's a joke. But, you know, hey, if he didn't believe in Jesus Christ, that could very well be the truth. But you see, whatever it is that you find as a passion, you'll have it in hell, but there'll be no true, there'll be no relief from it. And that's the sort of thing why we've got to give the Lord everything in our lives. If you die and go to hell a whoremonger, you'll still have that lust, but there'll be nothing to satisfy your lust there. The demons are going to mock you and torment you. So that's why we need to be set free because the sufferings of Christ, I mean, you know, we take it lightly, but it's a, it's a glorious thing to suffer for Jesus. Look at verse, uh, the Acts 5, look at verse 28. Now remember, this is where they get caught up with the Pharisees. He says, saying, did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in the name, uh, uh, teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And God, uh, the God of our fathers, raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Notice the Holy Ghost goes to those who obey God. When they heard that, they were cut to their heart and took counsel to slay them and stood there up one of the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the Lord, had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth in a little space and said unto them, ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves. What ye intend to do is touching these men. But before these days rose up Thaddeus, or, or Thutis, of boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who were slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. So notice, this guy Thutis, thank you, Jesus, for even bringing us here. All right, Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who were slain and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to nothing. Look at, the, look at the point he's making here. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of taxing and drew away much people after him, he also perished and all even as many as obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. Lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. So what he understands here is if it's of God, God's gonna do something. If not, it's going to come to nothing. But what we're making clear here is there were two people that mentally ascended to being more than they were, and you saw what they got. I don't want to be one of those people. I want to be someone that knows the Lord for real. People would ask, how could Henry Groover look at that polar bear with her two cubs and tell her 
when she was standing there looking at him like she was getting ready to charge, Henry is old, frail, and sick. And he told that polar bear mother, he said, if you want to raise those two cubs, I suggest you walk away and take them up the hill or whatever. That's a man that knows God. And, the, and finally, the, um, the Eskimo grabbed him and threw Henry in the truck. Henry, you're crazy. But you see, Henry knew the Lord. This is what I'm saying. You know God for real. You don't have fear of man. Look at verse 40. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. This is what we're talking about. We can believe that we are believers all we want. Yes, we can have faith in God and grow, but we will know it when we suffer persecution. You're gonna find out, was I just mentally ascending to this? Was I just faking it? Was God a figment of my imagination? Or am I going to believe him every step of the way? But as you can see, these guys love the Lord. They felt like they were counted worthy, rejoicing. Lord, I did what you did and look at what happened to me. We've got a big mistake in misunderstanding what suffering for Christ is all about. That is not failure. That is following and walking in the ways of the truest of those that people should idolize. Jesus should be our hero, not a minimized version of Jesus, not a watered down version of Jesus, not somebody that feels like, you know, well, if I do some of the things, then I'm worthy to walk with him. No, your job is to get full of Christ and let the chips fall where they may. Jesus says the servant is not above his Lord, but it is sufficient that you be as your master. He didn't say to go beneath him. He didn't say to go above him. He said to be as he is. And if we're Christians, we should have no problem in receiving that. Lord, if this is true, then I need to walk like you. But instead, we're trying to walk our own way today, avoid as much conflict as possible. And Jesus says clearly, if you be ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. If you deny me before men, him will I deny before my father, which is in heaven. But you see how you can preach this and people will get mad at you. But all you're doing is quoting Christ. That's all you're doing. But see, those people that don't want to hear the gospel will always fight against it. But the bottom line is Jesus is telling us we can be as he is. That's a beautiful thing. Why would we want to be any less? Thank you, Jesus. I want to read one more thing. Uh, anybody wants to add anything, please do. Let's go to First Peter chapter four. No, I'm not some sadist looking for people to feel bad and miserable and I just hate to see people happy and I just want to introduce you to all kinds of hurt. That's got nothing to do with this. But you know, when are we going to get to the place of growing and actually saying, Lord, my life needs to model after yours? I think the first thing to do is to recognize, to truly recognize, and I speak this even to myself, 
this message is even striking, it's striking me in the heart. It hit me in my heart. Yeah. To recognize where we are with the Lord. Just to stop there and say, you know, Lord, I don't I don't have this in me right now, but I want to. You know, if this is what your word's saying and I'm not lining up, <laughs> it's like does anyone here even have a desire to truly be like Jesus? Have you ever dreamt about it? Has it ever been something that you thought about all day? Have you ever said, Lord, I just want to be one with you to the point where you're in me and you're doing what you need to do? Has it ever struck any of us in the heart like that? Have you ever just been grieved by reading the book of Acts, rejoicing in all their miracles, and we, have, we don't have them? Have you ever felt that in your spirit? Did I want to be more for you, Lord? You know, and I, I mean, maybe some people don't think about that. But for me, I think about it all the time, all the time. I, you know, when you're, when you're really saved, this thing is on your mind. Lord, have I done enough for you today? Have I fulfilled your will for today? I think about this all the time. And it's not me being hard on myself or feeling sorry for myself or I'm unbelieving. But no, when you hunger and thirst after righteousness, Jesus Christ says you will be filled. We should have a yearning desire to, do, to want to be with Jesus. First Peter 4, look at verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Now, is this Derek speaking or is this Peter speaking? He says, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. This is Bible. You see what I'm saying? This is 100% Bible. Not living in the lust of flesh or the lust of men, but to the will of God. Verse three, for the time past of our lives may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. So what is he talking about? Your past life would have mimicked what the Gentiles were. What were the Gentiles? They were pretty much the heathen. They were the worldly people. They didn't know God. They were the unsaved. This is what he's saying. He's not saying Gentiles can't be saved. He's speaking of the life that the Gentiles lived. But he says, when we walked in lasciviousness, look at what lasciviousness is. This is G766, unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, lasciviousness, wantingness, outrageousness, shamelessness, and insolence. Okay, so that's how we once lived before we found Christ. And then he says, lust, uh, excessive wine, revelings, which is like banqueting or wild partying, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. This is what we're talking about. You don't think people thought John the Baptist was crazy? You don't think people thought Elijah was crazy? Don't you know that there were people that thought that Jesus was crazy because of the doctrine he was preaching? 
So we must look at this and understand. He says, wherein, because you're not living like the world, they will think that it is strange that ye run not with them the same excess of riot and speaking evil of you. See, you're crazy. You're taking Jesus too far. Look at verse five. Who shall quick, who shall, oh, sorry, give account uh, to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Before this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to the men, according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. We're talking about the born again life. You know that we really have ceased in our lives when we're born again, and we are to live as Jesus lived. Of course, we may not know what that is when we're born again. When we're born again, we got to learn to walk just like we did the first time, learn to talk, learn how to see. You know, we got to get all our teeth, know what to eat. You've got to mature in your appetite. You've got to mature in your understanding. You've got to mature in your relationship. But that's what this is all about, following God in the spirit. Look at verse seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Okay, so the end is at hand. If the end was at hand in Peter's time, it's already here. Look at the word sober. Almost lost my place. All right, the word sober, that's G4993. That word is sophronio, and it means to be of sound mind, to be in one's right mind, to exercise self-control, to put a moderate estimate upon oneself, to think of oneself soberly, to curb one's passions. So you see what it says here? To think even of yourself soberly. Be realistic. God can't deal with a liar. Okay, so this is what he says. To be sober and to watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity. That is hot and heavy charity. We should love to love others, okay? Among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins, or the multitude of sins. Use hospitality, or hospit, yeah, a hospitality, sorry, or one to another without grudging, as every man have received a gift, even so minister the same one to another as good uh, stewards of the manifold grace of God. And if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we've got to get to that place of God even governing your mouth, your speech, deciding to use it when he sees fit. We got a long way to go. Huh? Look at verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So what does this tell us, guys? We're gonna have to suffer. There is no other way into the kingdom of God besides suffering. If we suffer for Christ's sake, that when he is revealed in his time, we will be glad. We will not be ashamed at his appearing if we live the life that he has called us to. 
outside of that, you ain't gonna wanna see Jesus. That's why when you talk to people about what Jesus wants, people get mad. You know why? Because they don't wanna see his coming. I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now. But you know, you live for Christ, you enjoy the things that he's given you here, but you must also live for him. Look at verse 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you on their part. He is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. And tells us right there, you want the spirit to be on you and rest upon you. He's gonna rest on those that are doing the will and the suffering of Jesus Christ. What need have we of the spirit if we don't need the power of God? If we don't need Jesus in us to go through our sufferings and persecution, why should the spirit rest on you? The spirit is meant to take you to do God's will. You suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's affairs. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So as you can see, guys, it's making clear, all we gotta do is live godly. All we've gotta do is live godly. And I promise you, persecution will come your way. Christians are always in trouble. You know why? Christians are always involved in what's going on that's wrong. When something is wrong, the Christian is gonna speak up about it. The Christian will defend the widow and the oppressed. He'll defend the person that's been done wrong. Why? Because he is that light and salt of the earth. And if we're not preserving what God is supposed to be, Jesus says, what good are we other than to be cast down and trodden under the foot of men? I'll tell you one thing too, guys, when you stand for Christ, God will make sure that you're nobody's footstool. He'll see to it that that you'll walk in the workplace. And instead of you being afraid of the devil, the devil will be afraid of Christ in you. Trust me when I tell you, I thought by opening my mouth many days that I was going to get fired or things would happen. Now, I've gotten fired for that. But the bottom line is I realize the more you believe him, he will make sure you're the head and not the tail. You're not going to be anybody's footstool when you stand for Christ. Not for that great name. Look at verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Why will judgment first begin at the house of God? Anybody know? Because we're supposed to be Christians. We're supposed to be preaching the truth. We're supposed to know the truth. So judgment's going to start there first. It's going to start for the people who know first. Absolutely. Because if we're the ones who know Christ, then we need to be judged first. Okay, so if you know, why didn't you do? It's going to begin with those who are accountable with the truth, though they will be accountable for the truth. But if it first begin at us, what shall the end be for them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? The righteous guys are scarcely saved. Look at scarcely. This is G3433. With difficulty, hardly, not easily, scarcely, and very rarely. Man, that ought to strike fear in a person that's pursuing Jesus Christ to understand that when Jesus says this is a narrow way, it's a narrow way, and few there be that find it. He wasn't kidding. 
You know, but yeah, we'll look at that. Yeah, it's a narrow way, but that means for the Christians, you know, and everybody, we'll be all right. Nah, man, the Bible tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't sound like a joke. And what I'm saying tonight, guys, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to discourage anyone. All I'm saying is, is this, we cannot afford to take our salvation for granted. Whatever we think is so important, we better get that unimportant and get important for Christ. He's got to be everything to us. I don't like preaching messages like this because I know that people will feel beat down. I had a hard day. Why you gotta tell me this? But you know what? If love for people is why you tell them what they need to know, we can't play with our salvation. We cannot play with our salvation. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Hey, that's what it's all about. Right, here's eight signs that your Christianity is too comfortable. Whatever the other one missed, this one will probably catch. Okay, so this is number one. There absolutely is no friction between your Christianity and your partisan politics. It says if you're all in uh, with, with one political party and never feel any tension whatsoever with your Christian faith, it probably means your faith is too comfortable. Uh, whether you're a, a lifelong Democrat or a diehard Republican, a robust, a robust Christian faith uh, should create dissonance with politics at various points. Because you can't find one of those parties that totally stands for Jesus Christ. They both go against Christ. So, I mean, I ain't no Democratic or Republican, man. I'm a Christian. This is two. There are no paradoxes, tensions, or unresolved questions. If you never ponder or wrestle with the mind-boggling tenets of Christian theology, the Trinity, the Incarnation, God's sovereignty, coexisting with human action, the Holy Spirit's presence, just to name a few, your faith is probably too comfortable. And you know, this is true because some people will leave this, this thing not even knowing what they believe. You know, and it's not up to us to say who's a Christian or who's not. But, you know, a lot of people never even question, am I learning? Is that the truth? This is why we study to shew ourselves approved unto God. We can't afford to just take somebody's word for it. Okay, you said that. Now I'm going to look up everything that you said. I don't mind that. You know, because if I'm wrong, perhaps you can steer me in the right direction. But he says, a healthy, uncomfortable faith constantly rocks you, prods you, and blows your mind. It's a faith that leaves you restless to want to know more, not satisfied, uh, not satisfied. you grasp all there is to grasp about God. You know, uh, look at three. It says your friends and coworkers are surprised to learn that you're a church-going Christian. A sure sign of your faith is too comfortable uh, is if nothing in your life sets you apart as a Jesus follower, to the point that even those who know you well can't tell you're a Christian. A comfortable Christian is one who easily blends in, looking and talking and acting just like his or her lost neighbors. 
This is four. You never think about or even remember the Sunday sermon on Monday. If Sunday sermons are at your church, I mean, or at your church are so forgettable or you're, um, oh, or, or you're so disengaged that you rarely recall them after you leave church, your Christianity is probably too comfortable. Biblical preaching shouldn't leave us apathetic and unchallenged. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is five. No one at your church ever annoys you. I got to read into this. I'm like, what is he talking about? If you go to church uh, with people who are always easy to talk to, always fun to be around, and always closely aligned with your opinions, tastes, and preferences, your Christianity is too comfortable. Uh, one of the glorious things about the gospel is that it creates a new community out of debt, out of um, uh, disparate types uh, of people who in many cases wouldn't otherwise choose to spend time together. This is six, you never feel challenged, only affirmed. If your Christian faith never confronts your idols and challenges or, or your sinful habits, but only ever affirms you, affirms you as you are, this is a sure sign you are too, this is a sure sign of a too comfortable faith. All right, this is seven. Uh, you'll never, uh, you've never had uh, to have a love in truth conversation with a fellow Christian. It's always uh, way more comfortable to just live and let live. When there's an offense or sin that needs to be challenged, uh, to needs to be called out, sorry, it's more comfortable to just shrug when you see others in our community making unhealthy decisions. But this isn't true Christian love. Love isn't opposed to truth. And if your faith uh, doesn't include the capacity to speak hard truths in love, it's too comfortable. This is the eighth and final one. No one in your church could comment on any area of growth they've seen in you. I'll take this with a grain of salt, but let's hear it. It says to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ is to believe in change. Though not always linear, the Christian life should be marked by growth of forward momentum and change for the better. Now that's true. Okay, so now I read it, I'm back on point with him. But it says, if you're a Christian who's grown so little that no one in your church could identify any area of, of improvement, your, your faith is too comfortable. Why is it important that we avoid of of falling into comfortable Christianity, because comfortable Christianity is far from the costly, inconvenient, idol-crushing, cross-shaped path for disciples of Jesus. Comfortable Christianity has little prophetic to, has little prophetic to say to a comfortable uh, consumerist uh, world. Comfortable Christianity has little urgency in mission and little aptitude for growth. Uncomfortable Christianity, however, leads to life and transformed uh, and transformation, sorry. 
It leads us to rely on God and not on ourselves, to serve rather than to be served, to live lives marked by sacrifice. It leads us to do hard things, to embrace hard truths, to do life with hard people for the sake of a glory of the one who did the hardest thing. It may be uncomfortable, but it will be worth it. On the other side of discomfort is delight in Christ. Amen. I can't go against that. Look at Revelation 21, guys, and I think I'm gonna close from there. Revelation 21, read Acts 20 in your spare time. Read 1 Peter 5 about the being a partaker of the sufferings of Christ. Read 2 Timothy chapter 2 about enduring hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And Acts 20 talks about Paul saying none of those things moved him when he was going to be persecuted, but he said, neither does he count his life dear unto him. Paul just wants to finish his course. We'll get there. You know, I'm not discouraging people. I'm encouraging people, but you know, we can't get comfortable in the way we've always known it, in the way we've always heard it. God calls for more. He calls us from faith to faith, glory to glory. You grow in the grace of God. That's the worst thing you can tell somebody is you're doing fine and the person is six feet underwater not even knowing how to swim. What favor have you done them? Revelation 21, look at verse one. He says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and will dwell uh, with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Look at the plans that God's got for his people. Look at verse four. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And you guys really wanna pass this up? Yeah, this sounds like the end all be all. This is paradise. Look at verse five. And he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, uh, right for these words are true and faithful. So God is saying, what I've done, these things will be done. All you gotta do is hold up your end of the bargain and believe on me. Look at verse six. And he said unto me, it is done. I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh, shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. He that overcometh, let's look up the word overcometh. That's G3528. It says to conquer, to carry off the victory, come off victorious of Christ, victorious over all his foes of Christians that hold fast their faith even unto their death, against the power of their foes 
and temptations and persecutions. When one is arraigned, uh, or arraigned, yeah, to go, I mean, or goes to law to win the case, maintain one's cause. So, you know, we're called to be conquerors in Christ. What are we doing with all that armor on if we don't think we're going to go to war? Look at verse 8. But that's for the overcomer. Verse 8 says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, I think that's the biggest one that's going to get most people, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So as you can see, guys, we've got to be free of this stuff. We can't be fearful to preach God's word. We got to fear God and not men, as Peter says. We can't be unbelieving. A believer is someone that does what they're told. Abominable, you know, that's filthy. Murderers can be a variety of things. Watching people go to hell, committing abortions, killing people. And whoremongers, you know, that's somebody that has sex outside of marriage, just doing their thing. Sorcerers, that can be, you know, a number of things, drugs and otherwise, idolaters and liars. So, you know, look at verse nine. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, come hither and I will shew thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit and a great and high mountain and shewed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. You know how beautiful this is gonna be? And had a wall great and high and 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels, and names worth, um, names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east of three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the land. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof, and a wall thereof. And the city lie four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs of the length uh, and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof in 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. You know, and I'm not going over this just because I got nothing else to talk about, but I think that it helps us to be able to have a heavenly vision. We need a heavenly vision of what God has for them that love him. Because this resembles nothing like you and I would see on the earth. It's time to get a fresh perspective, a heavenly vision, to have eternity stamped on our eyeballs that no matter what Jesus Christ calls us to do, we will do. Let us taste the Lord and see that he is good. Let us, be, you know, follow what he says and believe. Spend time with the Lord, guys. This is an important thing. Like no other time, spend time with Jesus Christ. Although there's a lot of things that you want to do and fool around with, 
spend time with Christ because he's calling those who are willing to come in right now that when he pours his ladder rain, when he calls his army together, that we won't miss out. He came that dead men will live. He wants people to be saved. Jesus came into the world. Some people say to die for your sins and do all that, but he only came for one reason, that we may know him. That's the truest purpose of why he went through what he went through, that we may know Christ. He wants people to be one with him. You know, and, and that's pretty much the lesson for tonight, guys. But, you know, I'm pleading because he's been calling me back to the closet. He's been calling me to do a lot of things, you know, and, and, and get really serious in this because we are on the brink of something so serious that it's only going to take Jesus Christ to get through it. Whether you believe it or not, that's up to you. I'm telling you what I know. And God is saying for us to get serious in our walk. So that way we will be like the five wise virgins and not the foolish who took no oil in their lamps. They thought that they had all day to fool around with, but when it came down to it, they said when the Lord came, they were all slumbering and sleeping. He came as a thief in the night and they weren't even aware. Those who believed, they filled their lamps. But for those who played around, he says they will have their portion with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Give it all to Jesus while there is time. And I just wanna to say to those out there, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, give your life to Jesus Christ today while there is time. This is no laughing matter. You know, repent of your sins, turn from your ways, desire to walk with him, believe that he is the only way to be saved, believe in his death, burial and resurrection, and that he's coming back for a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. It's getting late in the game. It's time to get serious. Give it to Jesus Christ while you can, because each day is not promised to us. Jesus told those Pharisees, you know, you guys are going to seek me, and you won't be able to find me. He gave them opportunity to come in. It is not in God that any man should perish, but that all will come to repentance. It's time for us to put aside the foolishness and get right and serious with Jesus. You know, we can take it for what it's worth, but believe on him because he truly is our salvation. Whom the son has set free is free indeed. So I just wanna to say to those out there, I love you. Let's um, pray out, I guess. If anybody has any prayer requests, you know, just, let us know, but it's getting late in the game. You want to press there or no? All right. Heavenly Father, I come to you this evening in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, I just want to say that I am so grateful, Lord Jesus Christ, for your grace. I'm so grateful, Lord God, for your mercy. And Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty, you know, I'm going to be praying in this prayer tonight at home, but I just want to say, Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord God, for not walking. <laughs> for saying I'm saved, Lord Jesus Christ. 
and and what this was preached tonight, Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord God, that it just it strikes us and it stills us in our heart, Lord. And let's be honest, we're not matching up to what your word says, Lord Jesus, and it's true. Everything that we think that's important in this life is gonna it's gonna burn. It's gonna go to naught, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And we have to know this one thing is do you live on the inside of us? Do you truly live on the inside of us, Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you do, then we have to be willing to sacrifice all to be filled with your Holy Spirit, to walk after you. But look at what your servants did. Look at what you did on the cross, Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be saved. Yes, you already knew that all these false religions and all this nonsense and all this love doctrine garbage and all this peace and love pride nonsense would be going on today lord jesus christ you already knew this was going to be happening and it was for a time and it was for people lord god that were going to take up your cross our cross and follow after you lord jesus christ because it's the end of days thank you jesus and lord god it, it's just I don't, I don't want to say things that I'm not going to do of you, Lord Jesus Christ, but it's professing you, Lord God, wherever we go, wherever we are, Lord Jesus. But we have to know, are we being real with you? Because we can't lie before you. We can lie to everyone else, Lord Jesus Christ, but we can't lie to you and we can't lie to the devil. You both know what we're actually doing truly in our lives, Lord God, truly in our hearts, Lord Jesus Christ. You know and the devil knows. But I pray, Lord God, that we just open ourselves up to you. Yes, Lord. And whatever whatever we're not doing for you, Lord Jesus Christ, we be cleansed out, Lord God, to follow after you. It's not popular, but it was never meant to be popular. If the gospel is popular, it's not true. But, yes, Lord. but Lord God, you are saying that this gospel is going to be preached into all the world, and then the end's going to come, Lord Jesus Christ. But it's the truth that's going to be preached. Not a false doctrine. Yes, Lord God, there is false doctrines out there today. There are, Lord Jesus Christ. And sadly enough, people are following after the broad way instead of the narrow way, Lord Jesus Christ. But we have to know within ourselves, are we doing the same thing? Are we following after a broad gospel or after the true gospel, Lord Jesus Christ? We have to know this within ourselves. Are we doing this? Do we want to be like you, Lord Jesus Christ? Because if we are, then we're going to be telling people at work, all the time, Lord Jesus Christ, and this convicts my heart because I know I'm not doing this in my own life, Lord God. I want to. Yes, I'm talking to people at work, but not on a steady basis as we should be because we would be suffering persecution if this was the truth. So, Lord God, I'm praying in my own life, people here today, people listening in online, Lord Jesus Christ, that we take a good, hard look at our own lives to see, Lord Jesus Christ, are we being deceived? Are we following after the truth? Because this is just drawing so clear. It's drawing so near to the end, Lord Jesus, that we cannot afford to be deceived any longer. Whatever we have in this life that's taking precedence over you, Lord God, convict our hearts that we give it up. Everything, Lord Jesus. Everything to follow you. And thank you, Jesus. And we do have time, more time to save others, but that's what it has to be about. Not to play around, but to save others and to be sanctified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
And Heavenly Father, I also want to say tonight, Lord, that I pray, Lord, that what I said came from your heart. And I pray, Lord, that I didn't bring discouragement unto people, Lord, but to encourage them, Lord, for we know that the end game is that souls may go unto you. So I just pray, Lord, for those who are listening, for those who are desiring to be like you. I pray, Lord, that you baptize them in the Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that you give them an anointing. I pray that you raise them up to do your will, Lord. And if I have said anything outside of what you called me to, I pray, Lord, and I ask you to forgive me. But Lord, I'm also asking too that your people wake up. I pray, Lord, that we get on the offensive. I pray that we become instant. I pray that we fall in love with you, Lord, that you could ask anything of us, Lord, and that we may do it. But Lord, I also pray that you remove these idols from our lives. I pray, Lord, that you send the things that are necessary that we may get an end time job done in you. Lord, we know that you love us. And we know that the only reason you're pushing us is because you've seen this world as it is. You know who's behind every nook and every cranny and who owns it all. And as you said, where our treasure is, there will our hearts be also. So I just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you set us free. I pray, Lord, for the desires of your heart. I pray, Lord, for abundance of your life. I pray, Lord, to burst at the seams with your love that we may do what you call us to do. So Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for your message. I thank you for your clarity, Lord, that you are not allowing us to fall asleep at the wheel, but you are keeping us sober, Lord, and vigilant. So I just pray, Lord, for my sister Tara, who's got, whose sister's got cancer. I pray for my brother Michael Adams with MS. I pray for my dad with the tumor that is over his eye. And I pray in Jesus' name, for uh, um, my brother, uh, Randy, who is sick, Lord, and my brother, uh, uh, Gary and Sister Heather, Lord, I pray that you bless them and give them also. So I just pray, Lord, for encouragement. Let your encouraging spirit go into people. Yes, we ought to run this race with patience, Lord. I'm not pushing anyone off a cliff, but we should be serious and sober for the things that you called us to. So I just pray for your grace to grow. I pray that seeds be planted. I pray for an abundance of your water, Lord, that you may sprout new life unto those dying souls. Let all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's gonna wrap it up for tonight, guys. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. Do not forsake your prayer closets, guys. Get into what the Lord is telling you to do, okay? Love the Lord and obey him. So I just want to say with that, I love you all, at least until next week, guys. Have a good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.